Welcome to Making Comics, a podcast exploring the comics process from two different perspectives. I'm Keith Foster, a managing partner at Invader Comics and the writer of both Kadoja and Three Protectors. And I'm Scott Loss, the creator and artist of The Second Shift and Wanders of Melisandre for the Accidental Aliens. Yeah, yeah, you are that. I am. You are creator, comic maker, beer drinker. Yeah. And on that third note, what beer be, or what thing be you be drinking? That is correct, because I am not drinking a beer this week. I am going with a hard seltzer. And according to this can, it's craft hardest seltzer. This is by Brewery X. It is Blackberry Mojito. This is 10% alcohol. Holy shit. What the fuck? Yeah, 16 ounces of 10% hard seltzer. So they were not kidding when they said hardest seltzer. Yeah, that shit is hard. And let's let's well, see if it's delicious. Okay, well, we're we're doing a... Yeah, go for it. Let's hear it. It smelled strong. The taste is good. And there is a stronger aftertaste for sure. Oh, but gotcha, gotcha. as a veteran of the drinking game, it's okay with me. Bit shit. <laughs> yeah, well, we're going to have a good combined power rating here because mm. I am drinking something called, looks like it's called Gin Barrel Aged Batch One. Okay. This thing is an IPA aged in gin barrels. Mm-hmm. I, I had never heard of this before when it came up on my Tavor feed. I, I'm like, I got to try one of these. You know, if it sucks, it sucks. And if it's good, then I'll regret buying only one. <laughs> I regret buying only one. It is fantastic. Oh, okay. It is fantastic. What is the uh, alcohol percentage there? Nine, 9.1. Oh, wow. That is probably our highest combined rating in quite a while. We've been going uh, soft yeah. in the paint. We've, we we it, have. It, it's the end of the game. We were getting tired. We didn't want to bang yeah. down low. So we're just taking yeah. jumpers. Yeah, exactly. Like like LeBron did sixty out of the eighty games last year. Basically, <laughs> exactly. That's what we're doing. We're we're pulling up. We're pulling up for half ass threes here. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, man, this is this is really really good. I, I do regret not getting more. It, it it. I'm not a big fan of gin straight. You know, I know gin is meant to be the kind of thing that you put in in other drinks, maybe or mixed with like fruity things or whatever. But here, what the gin barrel does is it adds just this little bit of like citrusy kind of sweetness to the tail end of the IPA, and it makes it excellent. So hopefully it'll drink just as well all the way through. But uh, hey, it's fantastic, and uh, and I'm just going to keep sipping it, and we're going to go from there. So Thanks, man. I'm not sipping on some scissor. I'm sipping on some gin IPA. Gin and That's juice. That's the difference. Gin and, yeah, rolling down the street, recording podcasts. Sipping on gin aged beers. So let's get to it, man. What is the uh, what's the first thing you did this week? Uh, okay, so I would say it is finishing the cover to Second Shift Volume Two Trade Paperback. So that was uh, something I needed to get done this week. Everything's on a bit of a time crunch. I can't remember if I mentioned this on the air or this is just something I talked to you about off the air, but. I want to try to get some second shift trade paperbacks done for San Diego, San Diego Comic Con. And yeah. that is a couple of weeks away. I already have Wanders of Milisanda 3 to my printers. Um, I sent that over over the weekend. The PDF stuff got straighted away. It's over to him, so hopefully he'll be able to knock it out relatively quickly. I don't know how far behind he got since he was on vacation. And uh, yeah, so I got that cover done. 
and I actually contacted an inker, someone I met on the Wildstorm Facebook group. This uh, this guy, he was putting a lot of work out. And he had a inked cover of Cyberforce number one, and I just really liked the flourishes he did. I, I just liked everything about how he inked the piece. Mm-hmm. So I contacted him and was like, "Hey man, do you do inking work? And and you know what your what is your rate?" And so he gave me his number. It was very agreeable, but unfortunately, initially, he's like, and I work digitally. So for me, when I want to get covers inked, it's because I want to own the covers. Mm -hmm. Um, I I like to have a library of the covers that are done for me or the covers that I do for my books. You know, in, in the future, when these books take off, I'll actually have the covers with me still, and that's what I care about. So... Um, he let me know he worked digitally and I was like, oh man, like the price point is right, but I need a physical copy of it because I mean, I can ink myself traditionally. Like I don't, Mm -hmm. I mean, um, uh, well, I can ink myself traditionally or I can ink myself digitally, but when I ink myself traditionally, I'm an okay inker. It's my, it's my pencil. So I know what I'm doing, but honestly, I would like someone who that's like their profession. They're trying to be an inker for, you know, comics. So uh, just seeing this guy's work, I thought it was really nice, really tight work. So I wanted a physical copy. So kind of talking a little bit back and forth with him, he seemed like he wanted to give it a go. So we agreed on it. And I said, okay, as soon as I finish something, I'll shoot it over your way. And that was today. So I sent it over to him. I sent him kind of like not a prelim, but it had about 30 minutes to an hour's worth of work left on it. And I said, this is what I'm what I'm drawing right now. And as soon as I finish it. I can send it your way. Just let me know time frame when you'll be able to get that back to me. So um, he actually said he'll be able to get it to me by this weekend, which is which is pretty solid for me. Um, so that's like a like a four or five day turnaround. And so hopefully I'll be able to get that back from him quick enough to do this small run. If I don't, I'm planning on just having my colorist uh, Joaquin color my digital pencils, uh, which are essentially digitally inked. And because I pencil very tightly. And so I would send that over to Joaquin to get it colored. And then that way, the, this very first small batch of volume two is just going to be my my digitals. And then mm-hmm. when I do the larger run of the second volume after I do a Kickstarter for it, it'll have this guy's uh, inks on top of it. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool, man. Um, question. Yes. And I, I may have asked this in, in a, lo- a long time ago. In an episode far, far away. <laughs> I may have asked if you like having other people ink your stuff because they're going to add something different to it. Where if you ink yourself, you know yourself. All right, let me. So the, you're nodding already. So getting an additional inker does add a degree of like breadth to it, right? Because you have two people approaching the same thing different ways, correct? Yeah, so there's it's a tr- it's a little tricky actually. It's it's funny that you brought that up because when I sent him the piece, I was like, "Hey, here's the link. Just so you know, there's three files in there. One's the Photoshop file, one's a blue line JPEG, and one is a standard JPEG. Um, if the blue line is too light or too dark, that's what the Photoshop file is there for. You can go in, adjust it to the blue blue of your choice, and print that out. Or if you like what I got, it's there for you. And then the the standard inked pins um, piece JPEG is also there. So you, if it's hard for you to grasp what I'm uh, going for there, you can look at the the standard one and to see, oh, okay, that's what that line is. So mm-hmm. uh, he ended up printing them out and he said, just printed them out. They already looked inked, LOL. 
and I was like, I pencil pretty tightly. <laughs> so, yeah, and, um, yeah. you know, I was just like, yeah, you know, I started to add a little bit of line weight, but honestly, I didn't want to get too crazy. I was going to leave that up to you. So he asked me what I wanted done on the piece. And I, and so I said, look, I want you to just create some depth, use your line weights. Um, as far as the faces, if you can stay true as possible, you know, as mm-hmm. well as the costume details. Um, but beyond that, I liked how you inked that cyber force piece. So, let's go from there. Like I liked the flourishes that you did there and what you brought to the table for that. So if you can add that same aesthetic to my piece, that would be cool. So that's where nice. we left it. And, uh, uh he's going to get working on it. Okay. Yeah. I mean, in the, in the immortal words of the great Scott lost, I hope you told him don't fuck the faces. <laughs> that's right. It's like, Hey man, yeah, this is one of the but instances yeah, where you that's don't right. Fuck the faces. That's right. Don't fuck the faces. Um, so the reason I'm asking that is because there's a musical parallel here that there's this idea of breadth, right? And um, I remember reading about it in the context of a book on a Jimi Hendrix record and how Jimi Hendrix is the kind of person that is so talented that he could play all the instruments on his record. But there is a, a value in having other musicians play those other parts because if you can take anything this is the beauty of how music works and you can confirm that this is how art works if you just take a simple guitar line like like um bank 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 like in the in excess song right just 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 without the little thing like bank dank dank you get a hundred guitarists to play that and every one of those hundred is going to play it just a little bit different they're going to have a subtle way because they're striking the strings a little bit different with their pick hand. They're they're holding the the um, the guitar neck strings down with slightly different amounts of tension. They're approaching it at different angles, so you get subtle nuances and all that stuff. And that's why it's beneficial to have things like that going on. You know, like I've done. I used to do some some Big Pimp Jones stuff or some Big Pimp Jones related stuff where like I could have played all the instruments on the record, but I purposely wanted to farm out or get, you know, like the other musicians to do as much as they could so that you could get that breath. Because when it came to listening to a musical track, I could totally feel it. And I'm wondering if you feel the same way about inking your own pencils, that kind of thing. Yeah, that description is pitch perfect. That's absolutely okay. right. That's the human element is is brought to the table. And, you know, there's something to be said about working traditionally and digitally. There is, like, my stuff digitally looks like my stuff, like, if I was doing it traditionally. It, it looks pretty close to it. But I remember I was showing someone interior pages to, I want to say it was, it might have been Second Shift 8 or Second Shift 9. And the last page, it was it was 8. The, um, the last page of 8, I had finished the issue traditionally. I had uh, worked digitally initially, and I printed out all of my 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 pencils in blue line, and I inked them traditionally, rescanned them, you know, had them colored that way. So that was the last issue of Second Shift that was traditional. Um, I thought I was done, but the one thing I hadn't done is a rule that I like to live by is leaving a cliffhanger for each issue. So issue eight, the storyline, it's a one and done. Like you start to finish, you'll you'll get to consume that whole story in that issue. So it just ended. And I, I was like, cool, we're done. And I'm like, wait, but it just ends. Like there's nothing to pull you to the next issue. So I decided, okay, let me, let me digitally draw this thing and then print it out and ink it or whatever. And so after I drew this cliffhanger page that leads you into the next story arc, I was like, God, the pencils are done on it all 
already. Dig it's just digital, but but they're done. I don't need to ink this because it's already inked, you know. And and I found myself thinking that as I was going through issue eight, I'm like, I I pencil so tight digitally that it doesn't need to be traditionally inked because it already exists. So just for time's sake, I'm all fuck it. I'm going straight to color. So I worked digitally and went straight, flatted it, sent it to Joaquin. He banged it out and it was done. And then, so when I was telling someone this, I was like, yeah, no, it's, I was like, yeah, you can't even tell that I work dig digitally compared to the traditional inks. I was wrong. There's a slight difference in it. There was just, I don't know. There's something that's slightly sharper when I'm working traditionally that wasn't there in the digital but it's just a matter of getting some reps in and then you can kind of get it a little bit closer. But I think, you know, it's not an exact one-to-one. -one. If you had me draw a face and then draw it traditionally and then digitally, I think there would be slight slight changes in there that you're just not getting with a different tool. And then, mm -hmm. you know, to your point, it's like, you could have done everything on that track, you know, or that album yourself with all the instruments, but it's, it's something different having like another person come into the project and putting their slight spin on it with their their nuances so that's something i was interested in because you know it's like um uh i mean it's a wider gap essentially like between me writing something and ed writing something or me writing something or and you writing something you know we can have the same scenario um you know, lay out the same thing, but then when we write it, it's slightly different, you know? Mm -hmm. And and then the gap with that is my script is going to be relatively basic compared to yours and Ed's. That's, that's just how it is. You know, it's just because like writing is not my forte and, mm -hmm. and that's the same with inking. It's like, yeah, I, I, I can, I'm passable as an inker, but like mm -hmm. if you get a real inker in there, it's like, oh, they really know what they're doing. So I would really like the covers to sing, and that's why I don't mind having the interiors just be me. So it's just like, well, if you really want to see just me, look on the inside. That's just me. Mm -hmm. um, and then with these covers, it's like, no, I want someone in there that's going to make this as strong as possible. So yeah. my hope is this guy's work is just as strong traditionally as it is digitally, if not better. Because, you know, using mm -hmm. my example a short while ago, uh, my traditional stuff is slightly better because there's just an added element of me working traditionally for a way longer of a time. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. No, that's cool. I mean, you answered the question and my hunch proved to be correct. That in, yeah. I got in one art, more. It's like music. Yeah. I got one more thing on that too. And I don't know if I've mentioned it here before, or if this is just something we've talked about over beers is, um, I remember reading something from Eric Larson a while back and it's like, he would like to get other people to ink his work sometimes because well, when he was a younger artist, he would want them to stick to his his lines as much as possible. Do not deviate. I laid these pencils down because this is how I want them. So when you deviate from it, you're you're putting out a product that's not me. And like he said, as he got older, it wasn't like that anymore. As he got older, he wanted to see what other people would bring to the table. So mm -hmm. I'm somewhere in the middle where... I kind of want them to stick to my work as much as possible, but I also do want them to add an element to it, like those, like adding line weight that uh, in the way they do it as not as opposed to what I do. But the thing mm -hmm. that I would like them to stick to is the faces. It's like, well, their faces look like that because that's how I wanted them drawn. Right. You know, but I think there's somewhere in the middle there where I'd be happy to see how they would tackle textures differently for me. And, uh, you know, just go from there to see what it looks like. But I think I'm still on the 
younger side of my career with mm-hmm. along with that younger Eric Larson where, hey, this is how I liked it and I put it down for this reason. So if you could be somewhere around there, that would be good. Sure. Sure. I mean, that, hey, man, it's it's your art. You have the right to make it however you want. So, yeah, totally makes sense. Totally makes sense. Um, so for me, both things I'm going to talk about this week really stem from the same larger thing. So the larger thing is that I am on the brink of taking a pretty nice vacation here. I'm going to get away. I've been talking about it over previous weeks, but I am that that first flight is uh, less than 48 hours from from us recording this. And as a result, I've been working ahead. I've been doing all kinds of stuff and uh, and I'm feeling pretty good about going. But what unrelated is the fact that the first thing I'm going to talk about, right? The novel. The novel is is something that I am working. I basically have my feet in two different places in the river in this novel. I am workshopping. I, I'm now at the point where, you know, this infamous thing I sent to my mentor, right? The pages 61 through 100. So that's pages 61 through 100 of the novel. While I was working on that, I would also go back and forth with work on the end of the novel. And I don't think I mentioned this, but I had a, maybe I vaguely mentioned it, but I had a workshop with my fellow workshoppers a week or two ago. And that was the absolute end of the novel. And they gave me some notes on the end of the novel. And one of my favorite things about getting notes on the end of anything is when you change it, you're just changing it. You know, if, if somebody gives you, yeah, I, I've always given this example. I love it. If you make the lead character left-handed instead of right-handed on page 20 of 400, then that's 380 pages that you now have to make sure that character is left-handed and not right-handed. So you got a lot of green in front of you to use the pool phrase, you know, the billiards phrase. When when you are submitting workshops for the end of a novel, that's great because you're at the end. So anything you change, it doesn't affect anything downstream. You're at the end of the stream. So I got some interesting notes on the end of the novel, and I've really been thinking them through. And the larger thing that I want to talk about here is that I, look, I re-looked at what my personal release schedule is going to be based on not only what I'm releasing, but what like what works for the Invader schedule, right? Because my schedule would be different if I was not part of a comic company. I would probably be doing stuff even faster than this. And this is still a pretty good clip, but like Three Protectors just came out. That was June. Kadoja Symphony of Madness number one is going to come out sometime around September, October. Animals number one is going to get solicited in January, most likely, for a March release. And then by then, I'll probably be ready for Kadoja Symphony number two sometime in, you know, a little bit after that, maybe June, something like that. So, I mean, like we're talking a year out already. You know, a book just came out and there are a couple more. And this is life in the indie comics world. We don't do stuff every month. You know, we if we're releasing a book every about four or five months, then we're doing something really good. Um But as I'm thinking about it, I'm just like, here's the stuff I'm working on right now. Like the next stuff on my horizon is Kadoja Symphony of Madness number three. I still haven't written that. I obviously know what's going to happen. I just haven't sat down and written the, the detail of it. So that is at minimum 14 months away from getting released. So I'm not in a hurry to go out and write Kadoja Symphony of Madness number three. Okay, what else is there? There's Animals number two. 
But when I look at the release schedule for Animals, Animals is coming out about 12 months from now. Animals number two. And and I, I've written it once already, but I'm probably going to change it a, a bit as we prepare for the new artist. Because I still have to finish up Animals number one. Okay, so that's a year away. And then the other one is Three Protectors number two. Which is, you know... 20, 25% written, but that's probably going to come out in like the summer of 23, maybe a little bit later than that. So when you look at those three things, I, I'm caught up, you know, like there's, there's a certain point where being productive and having your nose down for a while to, to the proverbial grindstone means that you've done a whole lot of work and maybe it's time to just ease up. You know, there, there's, there's only so much work to do here. I mean, I'm already paying for an artist to do Kadoja Symphony of Madness number two. So my bandwidth, my limiting factor is is my wallet in terms of paying artists to do stuff. So until Kadoja Symphony 2 is done, I can't really pay for Animals 2 or Kadoja Symphony 3 or Three Protectors number two. So why kill myself to write something that I might just revise in six months and that's still well in advance of when I need it? So that's, I already just mentioned the comic you know, larger landscape of it. But with the novel, it's like that too. Because with the novel, I'm in a, a slight holding pattern. I'm ready to hear back from my mentor on pages 61 through 100. That's a week or two away. And I'm waiting to hear back from Mike on the full read of the novel, which is like three to four weeks away. Well, I'm going on a trip. I don't need to think about much. I can kind of ramp down. So what I've been doing with that time is doing higher concept stuff about the specific ending. And I got some notes on the ending of how I can make the absolute ending. I am talking about the last five paragraphs in the book, how I could change up some things and have it end. So as of right now, I think I left it a little too ambiguous. So what I'm trying to figure out is the right ambiguous ending. And it's it's been the kind of writing work where I just sit around and think. And I've mentioned this before, but that's kind of where I am. I throw a record on. I think. How do, how do I want this to work? And last night... When I, I laid in bed getting ready to go to sleep, I, I started to think about it again. I'm like, how can I make this work and what do I want to do? Like, what do I want to do with the end of this novel? And I, I came to my decision and I ended up writing a first draft of that actually today. So uh, we will see what happens, but I just bring that up in the larger context. Well, let's talk about the ending a little bit because that might help people. This, the ending to the novel, the absolute ending, okay? It's really Han a day Solo dies. <laughs> so uh the ending the absolute ending is really more of a denouement the final chapter is a denouement the climactic action happens before then so what i'm really doing is wrapping up stuff and planting a few ideas out there just for the fuck of it because you want people to close the book and then feel good for our listeners oh. explain what denouement means uh, yeah, denouement is, I believe it's it might be French for like falling action. It's either French for falling action or give the Making Comics podcast five stars on Apple and on Spotify. See, and that's what I thought it was. It's Yeah, it's, it's one of those two. It might even be both. It might even have a dual meaning. <laughs> but what it tends to mean is falling action, wrap up action that happens after the climax. So uh, Avengers Endgame, the climax is obviously... Like, we win. Yay. We snap our fingers and shit goes back to normal. The stuff that happens after that is the denouement. That's how we wrap up Tony Stark. That's how we wrap up Steve Rogers. Those things are what you would consider the denouement. So in the larger scope of what we're talking about here, what I'm really talking about is the denouement and how I really want to end it. And because of that, 
I don't want to have a big old Kaiser Soze type ending. Right. I think The Usual Suspects is a perfect example of the kind of ending that just completely punches you in the face to the point where you are stunned walking out of the movie theater. And actually, the first Avengers movie, uh, Infinity War, was that way. Right. When the snap happens, it blew people's minds. Like I walked out of that theater stunned, you know, on what I'd just seen, even though you knew something big was going to come. You were you were stunned. Right. It's like uh, uh, Empire Strikes Back. Totally. Totally. And but even then drink up. they give you a little time to, to yeah, drink up. Um they give you a little time to ramp down from it. Where like the Kaiser Soze reveal, that's that's a minute before the credits roll. You know, like it it, it leaves you it leaves you hot on You're the like stove. Still processing as the exactly. credits are rolling. Yeah. Exactly. So the reason I'm going through this is because my decision for this novel is for it to be more of you know, a a larger denouement equivalent to like Avengers Endgame, as opposed to a Kaiser Soze final punch in the gut, or even a Empire Strikes Back. You know, here's this big thing, and you still get a few minutes to ramp down, but you're still reeling from what I just told you. You know, so my schedule has allowed me the luxury of really thinking about this. And the the best thing about the ending is, if I fuck up, I can change it. And that's it. <laughs> you know, like uh, it, it's pretty common for people to obsess over the absolute end of their novel to try to get that ending right. You know, you've already hopefully stuck the landing with the way that the climax happens. And now you have to stick the final landing and have someone close that book, finish it up and just do the do the thing I do when I finish a great book, which is like, oh, that was really great. You know what I mean? That satisfying feeling of closing the end cover. So that's what I'm shooting for. And hopefully I get there. Yeah, that's it's a great feeling like finishing any project. I know it comes I get that same feeling when it comes to finishing an issue or a short story like I do in the anthol- accidental alien anthologies. So just completing things, it's just a it's very gratifying. Yeah. And and actually to that point, I bought myself a very nice bottle of scotch. Oh. That I am going to, you know, this is something I talked about with my mentor. I'm going to open that bottle of scotch on the day that I decide my novel is done and I'm ready to submit to agents. What kind of uh what kind of scotch did you get? I got Glen Berge is what okay. it's called. And Glen Berge is hard to find. Now, Glen Berge is not a super expensive bottle of scotch, but it's my first scotch love. So it'll be interesting when I open this up because the first time I tried Glen Berge, the only other time I've ever tried Glen Berge was when I went to a buddy's scotch tasting party when I was first getting into scotch. I was like forcing myself to get into scotch. And again, I may have mentioned this on the podcast, but it was the the book Leviathan Wakes, a.k.a. the first book of The Expanse that got me into scotch because they talk about how good earth scotch is in one of the scenes. And uh, so I was like, this makes me want to get into scotch. So I tried to get into scotch. As luck would have it, my buddy had this big scotch tasting. I go over there and... I swear to God, every single one of them except two tasted like hot turpentine. It was just like, this is this is fire and this is pain and I hate it. But there were two where I was like, well, this is good. And one of them was a scotch called Oban, which you can get just about anywhere. And the other one was a scotch called Glen Berge, which it took me years to find. Luckily, it's gotten a lot easier to find stuff online. I got myself a bottle of that about a year and a half ago. And I said, this is the bottle of scotch, Keith, that you're going to open when you finish the novel and you're ready to send it to agents. Now, a couple things there. Number one, 
that's how you should celebrate. You should celebrate the accomplishments that you have control over. So when you're out there finishing a comic book and you're ready to send it to the printer, that's when you celebrate. Don't celebrate when you get your 200th sale or your 10,000th sale or when some big publisher picks up your book because that may never happen. You controlled the thing you can control. You created a piece of art and that deserves celebrating. So that's when you celebrate and that's when I'm celebrating my novel. Now, obviously, if great things happen downstream, then even more celebrations can follow. But those are all optional celebrations. So yeah, I mean, that's that's the thing about that. I feel like I had a second thing, but boy, the 9% is starting to kick in. So maybe I'll think <laughs> about it later. <laughs> so you're talking about working ahead and you've gotten pretty much where you need to be. Um, I know Ed was working quite ahead at one point because I was so slow initially that it was like he had written, I think, the first first like seven or eight issues while I was still working on the first one. And mm-hmm. so it was like, he got so far ahead that it was like, bro, you're years, years yeah. ahead, of, ahead of where I am right now. So I need you to calm exactly. down. Um, but I liked that he did have them on deck and ready. Um, something that happens, I think, like in my estimation, just because my memory's so bad, <laughs> is like, you know, reading a script that he had written a while ago. And I think, I and I want to speak for him, but I feel like, when it's been so long, you reread it or you look at some art that you did previously and you're like, I don't even remember doing that. You know, it mm-hmm. was it was so far in the past that you don't remember those little details. So is there do you ever work that far ahead to the point where like I know you have this vacation coming up, but like do you would you feel that it could be beneficial to write it now, even though, like you said, you're going to revise it in six months or, or whenever whenever the time frame is coming, but maybe you would write something now that maybe you wouldn't write then? Yeah, I, so that's a fantastic question. Um, my answer to that is I don't like writing that far ahead. And the reason is because if I am doing my job and I am reading every day like I'm supposed to, like people who write for a living are supposed to, and if I'm writing every day, even if it's just a little bit, like people who write for a living are supposed to, then what that means is I'm going to be a lot better down the road. So that's why I don't like writing too far ahead anymore. Now, back in the day, I liked doing it because I liked just being ahead. But the more I think about it now, the more I think it's beneficial to delay that as much as you can. Because if you're doing your work, then you are going to get better And you'd much rather have that script get written by the better version of Keith than this version of Keith. So to answer your question, though, what, you know, it's kind of a related question, I guess. What am I going to do when I go on this trip? Well, I'm going to journal every day because and I take very detailed notes because there's a good chance that this place is going to end up as either a setting or the setting of my second novel. And then the second uh, the second thing I'm do I'm going to do is I might just write a short story or two just to keep writing. I actually was reading through a magazine yesterday and I came across this really cool idea and I'm like, that would be a fun short story to write. So I've found that when I want to take these little breaks from things like my novel, the best thing I can do is just write something else to force my brain out of there. Even if it sucks, who the fuck cares? If it, if it sucks, then you don't do anything with it. If it's good, you could do something with it, you know? So yeah, no harm, no foul in terms of that, but that's a great question. Right on. 
Yeah. So that brings us to your second thing, man. What was the second thing you did this week? Um, second thing, I would say the next next more important thing is I started the artwork on the slipcases to the second shift. Basically, whenever the next Kickstarter is, I'm not sure if I'm going to release that slipcase for the second trade paperback or if I'm going to save them for issue 13. There's a good likelihood that I probably will do it for the second volume, second trade paperback, only because that total is going to be higher than my other Kickstarters. Because my other Kickstarters, they're 300 bucks for single issues, where this is going to be a trade paperback, so the baseline is going to be a lot higher. Not not a crazy amount higher, because my printer, he does do smaller print runs. So depending on how that does, that will determine how many how many trade paperbacks I I print essentially Mm -hmm. so if it's like okay this is only going to be like you know a hundred or two hundred or something along those lines then I'll just go through him and then so the print run total will be a lot smaller and then that way it's like um, you know there's another printer that I used for the first trade paperback uh, same one that you use and so depending if I have to do a larger print run, I'll probably go with them because I know their quality is really good and yeah. I have not to this point used my my current printer for a trade paperback. So I don't know how good the quality for his trades are. So if I do a short run for San Diego, uh, San Diego, I'll get to see, you know, up close and personal. Yeah, we flying blind, fool. Yeah. So but the yeah. oh, the box art cover. So going back to that. The cool thing about that was I was a little bit on the struggle bus on how I wanted to lay it out. I was like, how do I want to do the art on this? I don't want just interior art from previous issues. I want an all new, brand new piece for the box. You know, I want it to entice people to pick it up. And the purpose of the slipcase is for a couple of things. I love, and and I've mentioned this on the pod, I'm a single issue collector. I love single issues, but I love finding shit on the bookshelf. So my having my cake and eating it too scenario is creating these slip cases where you can take your single issues of second shift and slide them in the back of the box and then you plop it right there on your shelf so if you're looking for a particular issue you know it's where it's going to be on your shelf you know you're not going to just be struggling through trying to find these books so <laughs> yeah yeah digging through the uh the, the garage the back issue boxes the whatever right yeah so, no, the endless the endless search if you're if you have a ton of long boxes and you're trying to figure out where one particular issue is it can be a nightmare if you don't have a really good organizational system like i do for my my comic book room i do have a really good organizational system but there are parts of the comic room where it's kind of like wait where is that stuff it's just mm-hmm. like the stuff i search for or i collect on a week to week basis on my pull lists those are in great alphabetical order. I could find those no problem. But for stuff that's like kind of more rare stuff, I have long boxes along um, the top of the cabinets. And then it's just mm-hmm. like, okay, I don't know where this shit is. I'm going to have to search through. Interesting. Yeah. So this slipcase is solving all of that. You could just put it like on a standard bookcase, a Billy bookcase, if you will, if you go to Ikea. And yeah. uh, you'll be able to find it right away. So the cool part of this, I was struggling to find how I want to lay it out. And I was looking for something in my Google Drive. I was like, okay, where is this Where is this one piece? I need to find this one piece. It was for something completely different. 
and then I came across this file, which was different random cover layouts that I just did for fun. I was just, I had some free time. I was in the zone. I was feeling very creative. So I just started laying out random cover pieces and it was just like, oh, here's a battle cover piece. And I was like, this is absolutely perfect for the box or the slipcase, slipcase box. It was just like this, this works. It has art for both sides. You know, the, the title sequence can go right on the spine and like this covers everything. So I was able to drag and drop that into the uh, template for the slipcase and uh, I started inking it. So like that's already moving and I'm, I'm so far so good. I'm pretty happy with how it's coming out. Nice dude. I mean, that's very cool. That's, that also shows the value of just doing stuff sort of to do stuff. I mean, in a way it's somewhat related to what I'm talking about, about, Maybe just knocking out a short story or doing whatever. Just do it to do it. You know, um, something that I've found a lot in my years in doing comics is you just never know when that thing that you thought was something extra is going to pay off. You know, there was a period with um, back, you know, when Invader was called 215, where we had Kadoja. We had some retailers that wanted their own retailer exclusive cover. And so I would have Mike coming to me. This was before I was part of the company. He'd be like, what other pieces of art do you have that we could use for this retailer? And I'd be like, oh, well, I got all these things that Rory did that, you know, we had talked about and, you know, I could repurpose that. He's like, cool. And then he came back to me again. What else you got? I was like, well, I got this too. And then he came back to me again. What else you got? I'm like, well, I still have one more thing. Came back to me again. What else you got? Like I kept having things. And that sort of stuff is helpful. Just like you having a you know, slush pile of all this art that you like, you just never had a use for helps. And I think in drawing, in making art, I think there's a lot more value to just just drawing shit, even if you don't have a purpose, because you just never know when that's going to pay off like yours did. Yeah, it's it's important to create just to create, you know, like I, I know it's tough for me to find times to just draw without a purpose. You know, yeah. it's just like I'm so swamped all the time. It's like, OK, if I'm not working on a cover, I'm working on interiors. If I'm not working on interiors, I'm working on lettering. There's always something going on. If I'm not doing that, I'm flatting. So it, it is very important if, if you artists out there, if you can find time to just draw for the sake of drawing, do it. You know, and, and something I like to do is if I'm talking to people, sometimes I'll just doodle. And I'll just try to work on really weird poses or really difficult poses. It's like, hey, I wonder what this would look like. I wonder if I can foreshorten this and, and you know, make the kick like look like it's going out of the page. You know, like, how would I do that? So while I'm talking to people, I'm just doodling. And sometimes those will hit. I'm like, hey, this is a good pose. So I'll just circle the piece. I'll take a photo and then I'll just have it kind of in the slush pile, you know, so to speak. So it's just like you have these things where you know, you can re repurpose them like, you know, like Mike was asking you to do. Do you have anything that's laying around? And it's just, mm -hmm. I, I do that as much as possible. And I hold on to everything. Like I have this, this file that's pieces of scrap paper where I have doodled these interesting poses. It's like, oh, I can use this at some point, but you know, when will I use this? Well, who knows? Like, let's just keep it. And then eventually it, it'll find its purpose. Um, exactly. There's a piece of it's a kaiju in issue seven. There's a particular scene. I was flipping through that because I was recently drawing the kaiju for the, the second volume cover. And I was like, it's been a while since I've drawn this guy. Let me 
let me go back and look at some images of him, to, you know, to see how he how he stands and like, you know, how the proportions of his head and everything. And then I remember coming across this page and I'm like, that was a doodle of the character. When I was laying the character out and trying to figure out how what his posture would be, I was like, okay, I think it would be like this. So I drew, I drew the character. It was like more of a silhouette and like there wasn't, you know, it wasn't filled in black or anything, but it was more of an outline of the, of the shape of the character. And I was like, yeah, this was a really good piece. And then I remember coming across that panel and going, I remember just needing a figure. And I remembered that I had doodled that figure and I, I repurposed it for the interior of the book. So it was just like, yeah, I can totally just drop that in there and, and it works. Nice. Nice. That's awesome, man. Um, we Hey, we've had some good conversations. So I'm going to be super quick about my second thing. And then ideally we can go in. But if you have more, you have more. But this is it for me. On the related note of just understanding that I have time, I'm rather caught up. I've been doing a similar thing with Animals Number 1. You know, Animals Number 1 doesn't need much work, so I have just been tweaking and retweaking the dialogue um, and, and the way the story flows. I think I'm very, very close to being done with Animals Number 1 from a writing perspective. And the next thing I'm going to do once I get back from this trip is I'm going to start like reworking all the lettering and doing some things as well. Um, to make that comic pretty close to done. Um, although it makes sense for me to just send the script to Mike one more time. Why letter when I don't have to, uh, if I'm going to have that many changes. So yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to work on the script a little bit and it should be good to go. Again, I'm, I'm down to, I'm basically down to the point where there's one page. I need to figure out what I want to do with the art in terms of cropping out and cropping, you know, chopping up some art I already have so I can make that one page work. But then once I do that, it's basically a page where of the three images, two of them I want to keep and one of them I don't. And so I have to figure out how to replace that one image, which happens to be a very large image in the middle with something else. Um, so there are ways to do that. I just have to wrap my brain around it, keep on staring at all the art I have and figure out how to build a new page out of that and go from there. But uh, yeah, the writing's almost done. And again, much like in the first thing, I had this, you know, a minor epiphany where I'm like, hey, you're you're caught up. Like Animals number one doesn't have to be complete until January, man. You know, like I'm I have plenty of time. So I'm gonna use that time and I'm gonna be thoughtful and um I'm just gonna, you know, take it easy, lay back and think about all of this stuff when I wanna think about it over this next week or two. And then by the time I get back from my vacation, I will be rearing to go and I'm sure, you know, it's almost like sometimes you need to hold off that and be like, I'm forcing myself to not write anything in any of my comics or my novel for a week and a half, whatever it is. And by forcing myself to not do it, it's going to make me want to do it that much more, you know, because it's like, no, 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 Keith, you promised yourself. And then what will happen is that time period will come over and I'll be ready to to jump right back into it because I forced myself to not think about it. That's good, man. Yeah, I I know that when I take long period and it's different, I, I'd imagine is um, when I take periods off from drawing, it takes me a while to get back into it. So for me, that could actually be frustrating. Uh, I don't like to take too much time off because even when I was on my Mexico trip, it was like, yeah, I was working, but I wasn't working very hard or very fast. And then so it took me, I think, a week basically just to get back into the groove of things. So it was kind of like I lost two weeks. Because we mm -hmm. were in Mexico for five days, I believe, and then it took me a week to to get back into the swing of things. So for me, it's yeah. a bit of a detriment to to stop. 
Um, whereas I can see the pros of giving your brain a rest and like maybe if something comes to you, just write a little quick note, but you leave it at that. And then, exactly. you know, you just go about your vacation and you can just maybe ponder those ideas instead of actually putting pen to paper and uh, yep. come up with something a little bit different. So totally, totally. Um, man. Yeah. And I got one more thing and then we'll, we'll hop on to the main topic. Um, so we did a convention recently together and I had ran out of metal prints and we were talking about it. And I was like, you know what? These metal prints... I was trying to phase them out of my booth layout because honestly, I do want to focus on uh, comic books and art for the table and have the prints basically just on the backdrop. And you can't really have metal prints on the backdrop. It doesn't really work that way. Like people need to see the shine of the metal up close and personal. And that's kind of what grabs their attention, you know, and like you could potentially bring people to the table just from the metal and maybe sell them on your book. Um, and so, but they've also saved my ass quite a few times at conventions where like, this is kind of a slow convention. And then all of a sudden you sell one to two metal prints and you're back in the game. You're like, mm-hmm. never mind, this convention's awesome, you know? Mm-hmm. So um, I made sure to finally do my reorder uh, through the metal company that we use. And then I also contacted a cover artist who I discovered via a friend on, on Twitter um, he, he put up uh, an amazing piece on his page and he goes, check out this commission I just got done. Um, you know, and it was, it was killer. It was a killer piece. And so I messaged him privately and I was like, Hey man, um, you know, feel free to, you know, if this is a secret or whatever, it's all good. Or if you don't feel like divulging it, but how much did you pay for that piece? And when he told me the price of that piece, it was criminal. I was like, you've got to be kidding me. Give me his contact information now, please. And thank you. And uh, so I got that contact information from him. I hit him up and he basically had, I think, a three month um, gap, basically, until he could work on my pieces. So, and I say pieces multiple because I made sure to, when I contacted him that I wanted at least two to three pieces from him just because the price was so reasonable and his work was so strong that I was like, I want to lock in those rates now before you realize how much you're worth and I will no longer be able to afford you. So, <laughs> um, he agreed to it, um, to the two to three pieces. And so the time had passed, like he said, contact me in July and uh, we'll get started then. So I made sure to contact him July 1st and said, hey, just wanted to make sure we're still good. You know, I wanted to get these pieces from you. And he goes, yeah, send them over. So I had put together visual packages of the characters that I wanted him to work on. Uh, the first thing I sent him was Wanderers of Milisanda, since that was fresh on my mind. I had just, I was still working on Wanderers at that point. And uh, so I'm basically going to have him do covers for all three of my properties, Second Shift, Wanderers, and then the new project that I'll be working on more than likely at the beginning of next year. So I wanted to make sure I had pieces for all of those. And the more I thought about it, I was like, I want a fourth piece. There's a major storyline coming up in Second Shift. Uh, It's going to be Second Shift 16 through 20. It is going to be the biggest storyline that I've drawn since the first story arc. And it has the biggest ramifications of any of the stories. So I'm really excited about that. And I'd really like to see his take on that story as well. So hopefully he'll agree to a fourth piece. And um, I'm just excited. I'm excited to get these pieces back from him. He 
uh, I sent him visual packages for the main characters, like all the main characters in Wanderers, and then I sent him the PDFs of the first two issues. So hopefully, um, you know, everything looks good to him, and he's already started the piece. So, But um, I don't really know his process. I, I probably do want to contact him again because it has been over a week and uh, just kind of see hey, does everything look good? Have you been able to start? And, and just to see where he is. But uh, it's an exciting time because he's such an amazing artist. Yeah. All right. So we ended up talking so much about what we did this week and had some nice conversations there that those are going to serve as our main topics. So you've already read the episode title. We're still going to figure it out as I'm recording this, but trust me, it'll be a good one. And it'll be <laughs> around the things we were just talking about. And we'll save our main topic for next week. With that, man, what what kind of bullshit you want to bring here? Dude, I thought I was in the clear as far as spending big money on on comic books, on eBay and stuff like that. <laughs> but man, if the conversations we've had the last couple of weeks, it's getting me looking for certain books and certain runs to where I'm like, man, that's going to cost me a, a hundred or two dollars right there. Like once yeah. I get all of those, that'll be a couple hundred bucks. And... um I was like, okay, you know, the thing also that was giving me ease was the last couple times I've gone into SoCal Comics to get my weekly pulls, there hasn't been that much extra books that I've picked up on the side. It's like, okay, I get my weekly pulls and then I peruse the shelves to see what's new and what's interesting and I'll pick those up, you know, try them out or whatever. And there really hasn't been that much things. So my weekly allowance on comic books has been under what I would normally spend. So... I looked for a couple of things on eBay, like a couple of small things and picked them up. But then if it wasn't for our good old buddy Midtown Comics, like sending out uh, a little thing saying, hey, we're having a flash 99 cent sale. So I'm like, okay, let me look at what's going on over there. And um, if I didn't pick up one single 99 cent issue, what ended up happening was I saw like a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles comic and I'm like oh yeah I need to catch up on my Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles so I just started picking up issue after issue and it was like $1.80, $1.80, that's not bad $2.25, that's not bad at all, that's cheaper than cover price, okay, so I'm I'm adding all these books to my cart and, I'm, and then I'm seeing series that I passed on and that I kind of wanted to read, I was like oh the Jenica series, like oh they have the first series and the second series, oh they're $4.80 a piece but you know what that's not bad because this book's old so I started picking mm-hmm. those up, $75 later Fourteen thousand dollars. <laughs> well, I mean, I thought I was just going to get some ninety-nine cent issues, and here yeah, I am yeah. spending like five bucks in it. Like at the end of the day, the total basically averaged me out at about four fifty an issue. Right. So it wasn't ninety-nine cent an issue. So I got yeah. bamboozled. I got hoodwinked. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, um, yeah, yeah. you know, you, like, you didn't get twenty issues for twenty bucks. <laughs> no, sir. No, sir. I did it. So, but I did get a nice run of TMNT that I'm happy about, and it's going to fill some gaps in the ongoing collection from IDW. And um, you know, like I, I just want to make sure as I pick up as many of those issues as possible. And a lot of those ones I did get under cover price. So you know, unfortunately, for some reason, I still haven't added that to my SoCal pull list, which I need to do, especially with the concerns of IDW potentially losing losing the TMNT license. So I don't know how I don't know if that's still a thing, if they've renewed, or if they're still in danger of losing the title. But I do want to make sure I get these titles because or these issues because uh that it's just such a strong series yeah yeah i mean that's cool um my only bullshit i have to bring 
is around comics that I chose not to buy. And so uh, we're going to do a rare, you know, usually the way that I put the episode markers in is by the time we get to the main topic, that's the last timestamp I put in. But I'm going to put this timestamp in here too. We're about to spoil some shit in Thor Love and Thunder, okay? So look for the timestamp or just skip a bunch, like three minutes or so and we'll be okay. So... Spoiler that warning, final... spoiler warning, spoiler warning. That's spoiler. your last chance. Spoiler warning! By the way, there was a hilarious video today on... It was on, like, Instagram. You know how how some people on, like, Instagram and Twitter, they'll take a weird... They'll take a weird sound or something somebody does, and then they'll turn it into one. Like, there was one where a girl does something and kind of goes like, eh... Like that, and then a bunch of people turned that into like that note into like songs, so they would sing along like the person was doing it. So I came across one today, and it was like a girl who somehow drinks something and then goes like, like that, right? Like that Uh kind of thing. And I saw a hilarious clip where a death metal drummer (laughs) basically made it his intro, so she goes like. And he goes like, and it sounded, it was exactly like an extreme metal song, man. It was so funny. Um, But what we are talking about is not that. What we are talking about is the fact that Hercules showed up at the end of Thor. So I was like, I'm walking out of the theater and I'm like, first appearance Hercules in the Marvel Universe, right? So it turns out it's the Journey into Mystery number one annual. And the so the 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 first appearances to give a shit about are Journey into Mystery number one annual that is Thor's first fight versus Hercules and then Thor one twenty six which is came after that but it's another Thor Hercules thing but the thing is I got to those prices and because they're older more collectible issues to start with they're priced kind of high and therefore I didn't get them. Because there's no value to be had. You know, number one, they are high-priced issues anyway. Number two, the information is already out by the time I saw it. Like, I saw Thor, like, three days in. So maybe if you'd have gone to see it to the premiere, you could have saved, like, 20% off the prices that they were. But again, they were pretty valuable comics anyway. Because something you've said, Scott, Hercules' first appearance has always been Hercules' first appearance. So... This this just boosted a little bit. And then the third thing is Marvel has been pretty notorious in phase four for throwing Easter egg type things like this at the end with no idea of whether it's actually going to come true. Like we have no idea whether Hercules is going to be in a Thor movie upcoming. So after it was all said and done, I just decided, ah, screw it. It's too much. It's not worth taking a chance. If it was if those issues were less expensive, I'd have taken a chance on it. Like what's 50 bucks? What's 60 bucks? But no. No, the cheapest you can find these things is for like multiples of that, unless you want like a 1.0 unslabbed. And if you do want a 1.0 one slab, like kind of what are you doing? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's like triple quadruple that for just an absolute dog ass condition version of that book. And it's like, man, if I'm spending money on comics, I'd rather get something a lot cooler than that. Yeah, totally. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, yeah. The couple of things that I'm looking for is, is something you've mentioned on the pod and then something I've mentioned on the pod. I'm not going to reiterate it because I don't need more competition. Yeah. Um, and I feel like he doesn't, he doesn't want to, you don't want to put yourself on notice just yet for the time yeah. between when you say it and when it airs. Well, dude, <laughs> right? I, it's so crazy because 
I remember, you know, many episodes ago when I was collecting Golden Age Daredevil and I was finding issues for 15 bucks a pop to $25 a pop, nothing that is with under issue 40 can you find for around that price now. Like everything is $45 and up, you know, it's just like, and honestly, you're lucky if you find it for 45, like there's just, everything is very expensive. And I feel like I'm competing with a larger market and I don't know when it happened. Right. So I'm going to say this, I'm going to say this to our listening audience. We love you. We, we appreciate you giving us five stars. Like we've always talked about, but you're some real motherfuckers. (laughs) You're, you're you're fucking with our collecting now, <laughs> you know. Like, <laughs> like we got to stop saying stuff on the air. <laughs> exactly. I think I think you casually referred to it a few weeks ago as the making comics effect, which I loved because that was that's a nod to the infamous wizard effect that happened back in the the nineties and two thousands. But uh, but yeah. So uh, you know, all all kidding aside, um, that is pretty rough, right? Because you don't know where this comes from. Hey, maybe it did come from making comics. I don't know. But uh, yeah. So nothing wrong with not putting yourself on notice. I mean, I've I've historically said it on things like this because I wanted to put myself on notice because I'm like, <laughs> Keith, this is how many days you have to stop fucking up and get what you need to get. Right. Other Otherwise, shut your mouth, you know? So I get it, man. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, beyond that, I think it's like, I don't know, man, a couple of hundred dollars away, I think I'll <laughs> be good again. But I swear I was catching up for a while. I was like, cool, the bank account's not, you know, dwindling. It's like the savings is staying, <laughs> is, is just going up. It's not going down. And uh, I think those days are numbered. <laughs> so yeah, we'll see how this goes. I, I think I need to sell some more books. So make sure you go to the Accidental Aliens website and buy some of my comics so I can buy more comics. Yeah, yeah, fools. Um, I I did want to mention something, too. One of the reasons I think that I'm not buying as many comics. And you know what? Like, I've been not talking about where my trip is, or maybe I mentioned it like four or five podcasts ago, but I'm, I'm not afraid of mentioning it. I was really hoping that I could have more of a wallop next time, but now's a great time. We're like an hour in. I'm going to Scotland, and I'm really excited for that trip to Scotland. As I've mentioned before, I, I am a golfer. I haven't really played much over the last 10 years because it's been all about like kids and comic shows and all that stuff. But the kids are older now and the schedule's freeing up. And so I played a ton of golf when I was a kid and I'm happy to get back into it. And so I'm bringing my clubs over to Scotland. And so a lot of that free time and sort of free free time money has been about golf. You know, number one. I want to buy some supplies for myself because I haven't done it in a while. So, like, I need more golf balls. I'm out of golf balls. I needed a new golf glove. Um, and more importantly, I've wanted to get my golf game in shape because the courses I'm hope I'm I've already booked one tee time in Scotland, and I'm hopeful for another very prominent golf course in Scotland. So, anybody out there who golfs, you might be able to take a guess at where I'm going to try to play, and it's very hard to play there. So, we will see. But whether that comes through or not, I'm still playing at least one round out in Scotland and I want to make sure that my game's in good shape. So I have been playing rounds and going to the practice range and doing things like that. And while the money drain hasn't been that bad, you know, it's it's time. 
And a lot of those things I'm doing during the time where I may have, you know, researched comics or thought of some extra comics to buy or whatever. So now golf is kind of competing with comics for that extra final few dollars in my wallet that I have after everything else, you know? So it's been enjoyable, but I can also see that, you know, the straw that's stirring my drink right now is really more on the golf side than the comic side. That'll all change, uh, especially once I get back from Scotland and then I've, I can get back into like a rhythm with golf instead of sort of a crash course to make sure my game is going to travel across the Atlantic for this trip so that I'm not playing some really great course. And I'm like, fuck, I wish I would have practiced just a little bit more. So right. I knew what I was doing here, you know? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I'm just learning how to play golf and it's really fun. Um, so I'm playing once every other week. Um, it would be nice if I can go every Friday, but it is a time drain uh, in the sense yeah. that, you know, I, I can't get up as early as you do to do it. It's just, it's not in me. I, I've never been that way. Even when I was like a gym rat, like I couldn't get up at four in the morning to go be there at four yeah. thirty or five. Like I would go on my lunch breaks. It's like, no, I'm, I'm going to work out, but I'm going to do it when I'm well awake. And that's how I do it. So when me and my buddy go out, we go out at like 9 a.m., and then we're done by 12 or, or 11, whatever it is, right? However long it takes us, we're doing a, you know, nine holes. And by the time we're done, then we go get food and everything like that. Um, half of the day is gone. And, you know, it's just like, okay, my dogs are at home. My girlfriend potentially has to work. So it's just like, okay, I need to get home to do this. So to do it every week would be taxing uh, yeah. for my schedule. So once every week, seem, every other week seems to be what I can do. And it's something I enjoy, you know, and it's just yeah. like now every once in a while I'll like, OK, take a break from drawing and I have I'll put a cup down and I got my my putter and I will practice my putting. And yeah, um, that's that's how I'm getting it done while I'm at home. So, yeah. But I mean, that's that's the thing about golf, too. It's a big time commitment. You know, it took mm -hmm. it took a good solid year because, again, I haven't really played that much golf since I've even met Rachel. So. More recently than you think, it's been this whole thing of she'd say, oh, well, you're you're playing golf at 10. So can we meet for lunch? It's like, that's not how it works. <laughs> like a round of golf takes four and a half hours on average and sometimes longer. So if I have if I'm playing at 10, that means I'm leaving here at 830 and then I got to play four and a half hours. So I'm done at 230 and then I'll be home by three or four. So it's like, you know, it can be as much as like a seven hour door to door depending on if you want to warm up and things like that. So, you know, once you get used to it, you get used to it. But um, but yeah, it, it can be a culture shock where it's like golf is a big time commitment. And I would argue that that was really the bigger reason I wasn't playing than any of this other stuff. You know, throwing down a few dollars for a bucket of balls or a few bucks on a round or a cheap round, big whoop. You know, it's more about the, the time commitment that it takes to play a goddamn round of golf these days. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but it's fun, man. Like, and it's funny because when my buddy, my ever since I'm a buddy, met my buddy, it was seventh grade, and we met in a bowling league, and we became fast friends. And then he was trying to get me to go golfing with him and his dad. And then you know, had time had passed. Dad, dad passed away from cancer, unfortunately, and um, his dad was um, retired military, and then I believe he had another pension at another job, so he was pretty set. So mm -hmm. what he would do was he'd go to the sporting goods store. He would buy a new club to test it out. He'd bring it onto the course. If he didn't like it, he would throw it in a closet. And so he had multiple sets of clubs when he passed away. Just a oh, closet man. full of basically barely used brand new clubs. And um, my 
you know, my buddy was going through the garage and he's like, you want a set of clubs? And I'm like, sure. And he Mm. goes, okay, you're going to have to come out with me now. And I said, yeah, man, of course. And that was 15, 20 years ago. Mm. And I, and we just, so he, he did me a solid. He like did so much work on my condo when I was moving out. And, um, I was like, man, I gotta, like financially, I do want to pay him back, but I also want to go play golf with him because he asked me for so long and to the point where he just stopped asking yeah. because I was just, I was wrestling at the time. I was too busy and mm-hmm. I was like, you know what? I want to finally go out with him. And then, so we started going out and I was like, oh shit, I actually like this. And I was like, man, we could have yeah. been doing this for years. <laughs> and it's kind of like, ah, totally. you knucklehead, this is on you, you know, type of thing. So, but I'm really enjoying yeah. it and I'm glad I'm getting to use his father's extras cl- extra clubs while we're out doing this thing. That's awesome, man. You know, like, like something we did at my dad's remembrance is he had all these extra golf balls and we left them on tables and we said, Hey, if you see golf balls there in front of you, feel free to take them. Like your next round is on dad in terms of the golf balls. You know what I mean? And I, I like to think that the kind of people who play golf would like nothing more than to give that gift to other people. So I think it's really cool that, that, you know, those golf clubs that were sitting there in the closet, um, have now made their way to you and now you can kind of perpetuate it. And, uh, and one other thing too, one other thing too, you know, I'm, I've long held, and we've talked about this, I think in the context of making comics and things like that, but, you know, as long as your basic needs are met financially, time is easily the most precious resource. So I know you want to pay your buddy back, but I feel like paying paying your buddy back with time is much more valuable to me. You know what I mean? It's like t- time is what matters. You know, I mean, when I first got to meet my kids, I told my wife, I'm like, I don't, I don't know what I can offer in terms of money, but all I can offer is my time. And uh, I can't wait to offer my time. And it's been the best, you know, just just offering up that time and spending that time with them. Um, that is that is definitely a more limited time feels like a much more limited resource than money in terms Absolutely. of how much there is in the world. Exactly. Hey, I always but, say that, um, you know, you, you can always make more money, but you can't make more time. So exactly, you know, exactly. spending those that time with with my my buddy playing those rounds it's like it's rewarding you know it's fun it's just like and he also he also gets to teach me the way his dad was teaching him growing up you know what i mean and it's just like hey i don't know shit you tell me what i'm supposed to do here and so every time i hit it and i'm like which club and he goes you're gonna want that and that and then so he kind of explained to me how it works and and i was like oh okay i have more of a grasp on that now so it's fun learning a new thing um, you know, I'm not as young as I used to be. So like playing basketball every week, just it's not in the cards anymore. Unfortunately, my my knees and ankle is destroyed. So it's just yeah. like, OK, well, this is something I can do and I enjoy it. Yeah, totally. Totally. Um, hey, you following Summer League at all? Maybe not watching it. How do you feel about Chet Holmgren? Oh, my God. That is exactly who I wanted to talk about. Like fucking I'm making hearts in the air about Chet Holmgren. <laughs> I, I I was actually texting Ed last night. Because the Oklahoma City Thunder were on. And my thing was, I I think one of the exact things I said to him is, dude, I'm ready to plunk down for my league pass right now. Because I think this year, this upcoming year, is going to be a, as a person who always likes following the thing that's next, and the fucking Sixers. But that's not the story. <laughs> As a person who always likes following the thing that's next, I think this year is going to be one of those once every 10, 12 year kind of banner years okay. in terms of following the bad teams. So 
I don't think we have a whole lot of listeners who are debating whether or not to get League Pass this year. <laughs> but if for some reason you are, buy fucking League Pass. This is going to be like a once every 10 to 15 year year in terms of all these young bad teams. Every one of them has multiple cool players on their team, man. Everybody's got cool shit going on. So I am very excited to just fill up my evenings with a whole bunch of league pass of bad teams because these teams are on the come up right now. And and Oklahoma City Thunder, basically, I would I would pay for league pass if it was only them. So I, I am fascinated by Chet Holmgren. I think Josh Giddy is awesome. And I think Oklahoma City is is going to be an absolute force for the next decade as long as they hit on like 30% of their insane number of draft picks. They have so well, many fucking And draft they have picks. a nice history of drafting, so. Yeah. And this is part of the podcast where Tim Redecky has checked out. Tim, Tim Redecky is like, fuck you guys. I thought <laughs> I thought we had a deal, <laughs> right? Yeah. Like I, I clearly said on the podcast that I was looking forward to no basketball for months. And what are you doing to me right now? <laughs> <laughs> and you even mentioned on that episode that look, I'm a I'm a, a summer league nerd, but I probably won't talk about it. Well, guess what? We lied. <laughs> uh, well, I didn't I didn't expect my excitement for Josh Giddy and Chet Holmgren to just runneth over the way it has. Right. right. So, uh, short answer is I think Holmgren is Durante. He right, is yes. Kevin Durante. It just he's like know? yeah, the Slender Man. You know, it's just like yeah. okay. All right, he's yeah. got a nice skill set. Everyone underestimates him just because of his body type, but you know he's going to get there. He's doing good now, but uh, you know, yeah. see how it goes. I mean, I made the joke to to Ed that I was like, Ch- I love Chet Holmgren, but you know he's going to get pushed around easy because I might weigh more than him. Right? Okay, yeah. I weigh two pounds less than him. <laughs> wow, that's crazy. <laughs> I am. I am six three one ninety three. And mm-hmm. he is seven one one ninety five. Whoa, which is insane. that's crazy! That is insane. That yeah. is insane. Yeah, that's yeah. Nuts. That is that that is like bones, cartilage, and skin when you're seven foot one. You know <laughs> yeah, what I mean? Right? It's like eat um, a fucking whopper, bro. <laughs> well, he will definitely get his chance. But anyway, so um, you got any other bullshit, man? No, man. I think I'm good. All right, rock on, rock on. So. You can find me on Instagram at Keith underscore Invader. That is me out in the world, throwing quotes at you, showing some stuff off about my books, taking some pictures out in the world and things like that. And then, of course, at Kadoji Kaiju, which is nothing but giant monsters 100% of the time, both on Instagram. And you can find me at Scott Lost, S-C-O-T-T-L-O-S-T on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook.com forward slash Scott Lost. Yeah. So let's say you want my books. Let's say you want either Kadoja, which is Giant Monsters Meet H.P. Lovecraft, or Three Protectors, which is Interplanetary Kung Fu. You can go to my website, KeithRFoster.com. There is a web store there with all of those things waiting for you. You can read up on both books if that's what you want to do. And of course, I have a ton of blog blog posts and links to articles that I have written for iHorror there as well. Um. If you want to get hammered off of a seltzer, you're going to get Brewery X, 10% Blackberry <laughs> Mojito, because holy shit, like, I don't know if you saw halfway I did. through the podcast. I did. I made yes. a face because yes. it was like, it just tasted like alcohol. <laughs> it was so strong. Um, but then I got towards the bottom and then it kind of settled back down again, which is kind of interesting because you'd think that alcohol would be on the bottom, but it was all right. But that also might just be me adapting to how much booze I consumed. And um, just it was fine. It was all fine at the end. 
But I think that's it. Yeah. Yeah. But if you want to buy my comic books, <laughs> you're going to go to <laughs> accidentalaliens.com. Second shift, a tale of minimum wage workers during the day and superheroes at night. And like we talked like we talked about, that's not what it's about. That's what the that's what the sales pitch is. But what's yeah. it what it's about is the uh the relationship between the characters in the book, the closeness, the family, all of those things, as well as Wanders of Melisanda. It is anthropomorphic dinosaurs versus humans. A thousand years in the future, we start colonizing other planets and come across the planet Melisanda, where the meteor never hit and dinosaurs of that world survived and evolved. But what it's really about is the relationship between an uncle and his niece going through a world of dinosaurs that are trying to kill them and eat them. So, uh... <laughs> Good times. Go to AccidentalAliens.com. Pick those books up. Uh, we greatly appreciate if you do that. We do not have a Patreon here. All we ask is for you to buy our books or back our Kickstarters. We don't have Kickstarters going on right now, but we do have our books in our stores. So go to those sites, pick up our books, and um, yeah, go to makingcomicspodcast.gmail.com and let us know hey this was a good episode or it wasn't a good episode or if there's things that you want us to talk about that we haven't talked about yet or touched base on a little bit and you want to know more about making comics podcast at gmail.com yeah i mean we've mentioned before how when we go to society you and i both like hanging just long enough to throw down two madams and usually about couple ounces into that second mat and that's when we start flying and that's when we've come into each other i think more than once now where we're like dude i'm feeling fucking amazing <laughs> you know <laughs> that's right and uh, that's that's kind of where we both are right now like this has approximated that pretty closely you know yep. which i think mm -hmm. is pretty cool which i think is pretty cool so this gives you an idea of what it's like throwing down some beers with us at at society specifically the madam um so in espanol cincuenta estrellas poor making comics podcast on iTunes. And that was a trick because that's 50 and it's Cinco and that's five. <laughs> so because do alcohol. Not, do not give us 50. No, no, no. I, I knew what I was doing. It was a long oh, con oh. like Kaiser Soze all along. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> yeah, man. That, I'm, 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 I'm on another level. I'm on a new level. Like whoever that rapper is with like a dollar sign in his name instead of an S. It's like an S, but whatever. All anyway. right. That could be like... <laughs> yeah. We've, we have definitely been drinking. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, where does that leave us? I guess that leaves us wrapping up the episode, right? Yeah, man. All Five right, stars brother. on Apple and uh, yeah. uh, whatever else. Stitcher. Anchor. Fuck, fuck just Apple and Spotify. Just give us five stars every single place you can think of. Like, mm -hmm. you go to the local deli, and you know how they have that whole, like, put your business card in for, like, a free sandwich? Dude, write five stars for our podcast on the back of that shit. That's going to win you that sandwich. Because it's going to weigh it down just a little bit more with ink. And it's going to make it more likely that they pull your business card from the raffle. Just like David Stern froze the envelope to select you in 1984. It's just science. It's science. Exactly. Anyway, we're out of here. I'll see you next week, brother. Yeah, yeah.